Hello, and welcome to Dice Don't Die, a Pathfinder 2nd Edition podcast. Hello, and welcome to Dice Don't Die's Deep Dive. Tonight, we're taking a little detour from the class overviews and the book discussions to talk about something a little closer to our GM's heart. We also have a few guests with us tonight, and they're the main focus of the show. So, while you've probably heard enough of me tonight, I'm Chad, and tonight I'll be talking with Beth. Hello! Sarah. Howdy. Beth's wonderful husband, who has guest starred on the podcast before as loud laughter in the background, Ryan. Hello. We also have the extreme honor of talking with two of Beth's friends, Bill. Hello. And Steph. Hey. Ryan, Bill, and Steph all played in Beth's Iron Gods campaign from November 2018 to this March, right? Yep. All right. Well, take it away, Beth. Yeah. I just wanted to give a few details right away that obviously... Uh, 2018 to 2022 is a pretty long uh, campaign. We did take some breaks in between books and stuff. It took a while to finish, but we finally did. Ryan is an outlier of the group. He did join uh, halfway through, so about uh, end of book three. Uh, and we had a player uh, have to drop mid book three. So it kind of worked out. Uh, finally, we did have another player, Katie, who tragically passed away in February 2022. Uh, this was emotional for all of us, and there's no way to like take her out of the campaign because she was a major part of it, and we wouldn't want to. So uh, you may hear references uh, to Katie and her character, Penny. Uh we would like to dedicate this episode to both her and the joy that she brought us and the joy that Penny brought us throughout the years. So the first question we're going to try is with, we'll start off with Bill. Can you give us a quick rundown of your character for us? Just basic race and class, maybe the personality. So I am terminally indecisive uh, and, and make lots of long pauses. That'll be awkward in editing. Sounds <laughs> But Beth was kind enough to allow me to cheat a little bit. Um, I actually played twins, only one of whom were ever traveling with the party at any given time. Uh, but I did play two characters rather than make decisions. And uh, he he would level both of those characters up every level, too. I love that. That's actually kind of inspiring. One of them kind of ended up becoming our uh, our gear upgrading dispenser. Um, he mm-hmm. was a gunslinger, and the backstory I'd had for him before we started um, was that he was a well that that both of my characters were um, engineers and craftsmen. So um, I just like using the. Um, backgrounds that are in the player's guides, just because, you know, they kind of tie you in. 
Mm-hmm. And I did the same thing for both these guys. Like I said, they were twins. Um, so I did the background that had them be the son of one of the uh, NPCs in the beginning. Main NPCs. Yeah. I can't remember how much information people who haven't played it are going to have, so I'm just going to uh, Well, beg. just real quick, spoiler <laughs> alert, we're going into the yeah. ending of the entire campaign, so... Yeah, yeah. If if you guys uh, don't want spoilers for Iron Gods, this podcast don't. is not for you. So either turn it off or strap in because we are here now. <laughs> Dear God, why are you still listening? We said they completed Iron Gods. Why are you here? Why? What did no! you think happen? <laughs> I mean, there's so... parts of the middle that we're not going to remember, so we're not going to spoil the <laughs> middle of it. Rude. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. So I played uh two characters that both had the the background that made them uh the adopted children of Connor Bain and also gave them the technologist uh feet. So they were but they were conceived as uh as a pair of Kellid twins that the technical lead had at least attempted to abduct. Um, one, uh, Anak, the brash, being a gunslinger. Uh, and he was who I was, he was going to be a tech slinger. I was really excited to play with all the sci-fi stuff in Iron Gods. Mm-hmm. Um, the other being Jode the Subtle, a telekineticist, because I have a type and I play lots of telekineticists. Um and and that's just you know there's no getting around that. Um, so starting out, uh, I was planning to play a knock uh, primarily, uh, but early in the game, it turned out that the gunslinger was not working all that well for us. Um, just that uh, doing a lot of damage but almost never hitting was was becoming a problem. So. Uh, I mostly played uh, Jode through the majority of the campaign. So, Jode the Subtle. Love that. Who wants to go next? I guess I'll go, uh, since Ryan didn't join us until a little bit later in the campaign. Uh, So I played Olga Stormbringer, because I also have a type... And it is big, beefy ladies who can crush me between their thighs. Yes. And, uh... Remember that! It will become relevant later. Um, so because I am always in want of a big, beefy girlfriend, uh, I, I created Olga. is actually originally based off a 3-0 uh, half-giant psychic warrior that Bill built back when we knew each other back in college, like god 15, 20 years ago now? Oh my it's gosh. It's, I oh know. God, I, I can't even think about it. Um, but uh, I have had an incarnation of this random throwaway character that Bill built and gave me because we were going to do a one-shot one night and I just needed a character uh, that I immediately named Olga, who is a kind of taciturn half giant with a um, with essentially a 
under the old D&D rules, she was on a quest to free her people from uh, whatever that, that society was that had enslaved half-giants. Well, move over to Pathfinder, different world, don't have this mm-hmm. thing, technically don't have half-giants. Beth was kind enough uh, to let me take a port of the uh, Cyanocyst rules, uh, well, Cyanocyst book uh, from 3.0 that somebody had made as a third-party supplement for Pathfinder. And so at first, I was statting myself up. Uh, I created the half-giant race and couldn't really get the psychic warrior thing to, to play right. So I am probably the one person in the campaign who has rebuilt my character more times than anybody else. And Beth very kindly allowed me to just like every four or five levels. I'm like, this is this build is just not working. And so Olga would suddenly just walk behind a tree and come out with a completely different set of skills and abilities than she did before. And we just never acknowledged the fact that at one point in time she had magic because she was doing uh, a Magus-style situation to try and emulate some of those psychic uh, uh, warrior, like, psychic powers, and it just wasn't playing out. So by the end, I had just restatted her as a a just straight-up fighter. And I had forgotten how awesome it is to play just a straight-up fighter in Pathfinder. You don't have to take uh, any type of archetype. You can just be really, really flippin' cool with just baseline fighter. You can just hit stuff good. The one thing that I knew I had to have, and this is the whole reason I I kept my half-giant feet, is there was a combination of racial abilities and feats you could get in 3.0 that would let you wield as a medium-sized creature a huge greatsword. And I couldn't get it because no one had ever translated Monkey Grip into Pathfinder. Right. But I was able to wield a large greatsword that I eventually got upgraded to the point where it was doing the damage as if it was huge, just by baseline. And then, through Ryan's character, I eventually unlocked the ability, uh, he would give me potions of mantras form every day, and so I became uh, a giant dinosaur lady like two or three times a day and it was amazing i became a giant woman a la steven universe and we would sing it every time every time beautiful absolutely every time to the point that it became a meme (laughs) Steph, i think you're my new hero like i've had it like i this is chef's kiss this is so good this is true teamwork ryan thank you for the assist Oh, it's perfect. Um, and of course, we had uh, a knock, the one who was upgrading all of our equipment. Uh, it was it was is a pure synergy because I very quickly realized after level five that the way Katie's character was built, I was never going to catch up to her in pure damage uh, because yeah. she is the absolute insane build of a swashbuckler. Yeah, she would destroy everything in two hits. So it was it was amazing. 
Olga had a had a moment where she had to reckon with herself that she was never going to be the DPS monster that she wanted to be and decided, you know what? That's not my purpose in life. My purpose in life is to be a fucking tank. And so yeah. by the end of the campaign, my AC was 48. Oh my gosh. Yes. Most of the final bosses couldn't hit me unless they crit. No, so some clarification, this is Pathfinder 1, not Pathfinder 2. So just yes. keep that in mind. Things are a little bit different. So like level 17 AC of 48 is very easy to do in, I wouldn't say very easy, but pretty easy to do in Pathfinder 2. It is something you have to specialize in in Pathfinder 1. And Olga did. Did. She yeah. wanted to be the biggest bee in the room, and she uh, was. Sometimes I literally did. a bee. Yeah, yes, I did occasionally, because I wanted the flying ability. Instead of being a giant dinosaur lady, I would become the giant bee queen. Uh, so I love that you I love that you didn't go with like pterodactyl. You didn't just like pick a different dinosaur that could fly. You were like, no, no, no. Too easy. Need to be a bee. I was going off of the list of available monsters that uh, Ryan provided <laughs> me. We had an entire like website breakdown uh, of what I could select. <laughs> Great. Uh, and there oh were gosh. several times I had to like make decisions like, hmm, could I be this other giant wolf person? No, no, I want to be a giant dinosaur lady. Giant dinosaur lady sounds awesome. So uh, my character tended to be very like taciturn uh very like okay let's go in get shit done um and so i took my original backstory which does not apply at all in the pathfinder world because that this race doesn't exist but we're in numeria giants sort of exist in the numerian setting and so i decided that i was like the bastard child of like some sort of uh Kellid tribeswoman, shaman, who had kind of been kicked out of her family, and a hill giant. Uh, and so I decided that my big thing was I hated the Black Sovereign. And he had destroyed my clan when he came to power. And so my job was to kick his ass. And secretly, I wanted to take over the throne really really wanted to take over the throne the fact that i did was like a really hard decision at the end um anyway they didn't but they did give it to one of my favorite npcs absolutely and that's the only reason because she was an even bigger badass than olga she was uh, they gave so, it to the current black sovereign's like mistress who yeah. also had a mistress who was an android yeah, she was pretty cool. And like, yeah, she was really cool. So that that was kind of the way Olga was set up. Um, and we could probably get into it later, but Beth decided to roll with that. I want to see you turn into a giant woman thing. And eventually I ended up with a following. Fan yes. <laughs> A, a following my reputation preceded me yeah. and it got very uncomfortable when we started getting to more populated areas of the world like uh and these Starfall. gnomes would be like step on me yeah 
incredible. Real awesome. I'm not kidding. We, oh, I definitely role-played so, that. that. Oh, that's so good. I know Jerry wanted to climb me like a tree, but it's not going to happen. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I forgot about that one. Um, there's a couple of things that I do want to touch about, on uh, that about Olga and uh, about uh, Bill's character, Anak. You know, a lot of this, they're saying, oh, Beth, let me do this. Yeah, sure, By the, technically by the rules, you know, retraining is a thing. We could have gone the long way about it. I just don't think that that's fun. And so for me, house ruling, allowing people to make changes to their character is really important. So uh, that's why... In most of my games, I-, I allow my players to adjust their characters because otherwise, honestly, it's not fun. When when we did, I think it was the third rewrite or fourth rewrite of Olga, and we said, no, let's just redo the whole thing. If I yeah. hadn't done that legitimately, I think you would have had less fun. Oh, no, I absolutely was because I was starting to have a really frustrating time because I had been building Olga and really squeezing as much as I could out of the system and out of like what you were allowing me to do to try and get her back to that original version from 3.0. And there's just certain things that don't work the same way, no matter how much we were trying to to manipulate the system and i was getting really frustrated with it and it wasn't anything yeah. against you you let me build the character that way um but i also i understand i'm not the best at min maxing characters i can pick a a backstory and i can pick like the basics uh but i'm definitely not going to be that person who comes out um that has read through every single piece of errata and has min-maxed their character to the point that they're just this unstoppable beast, no matter what it is I want to play. So I tried three, four, five different times. And by the end of it there, I had a frank conversation with Beth about it. And I was like, okay, you know, when we get to like, was it level 14 or 15? And we're kind of really starting. It was either the second half of the last of, the second to last book or something like that. And I was like, I, I think I went about this the wrong way. And I think I want to restat Olga based off the way that I've been playing her in this campaign to make her Mm -hmm. more true to what the character is now, rather than what I kept thinking she should be. And then I restatted her as a straight fighter. And at that point, you know, embrace the love of being the giant meat shield that she was in giant plate mail. Uh, And it was great because then I didn't have to like feel like I was fighting um, against the character options or that I was like competing with Katie to be the ultimate damage dealer, even though I could still put out quite a bit of damage, especially as a giant, you know, dinosaur lady but it it worked a lot better and so i really appreciate that that beth was allowing us to make those changes as we went along moral of the story is talk to your gms yeah you don't need story reasons to change your characters you just need table reasons and Mm -hmm. as long as it's not like a complete personality shift or even then like Work on it. If you really aren't vibing with your character, work on it. 
work on it with your GM. You guys can make something work. And sometimes it's retire the whole character. And that's, I mean, in a way, that's kind of what uh, Bill did with Anok. And a little bit what happened with our person who had to drop out was, you know, there were frustrations mm. with the way that the character was uh, was working and not quite getting, you know, the exact build that they were looking for and then not being able to come for a while. Um, you know, they kind of felt like they kept getting farther and farther behind. And so eventually they had to, to drop out of the game. Um, but if you're not yeah. having fun... You, you need to say something. You can't just sit there and be frustrated and assume that, you know, people are going to realize that the reason you're being grumpy at the table is because, you know, you're just upset with the way that you're your character's running. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Steph kind of answered questions one and our next question. So... <laughs> I'm I'm gonna jump in right now and say Ryan, we want your character build, personality, class, race, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and then just tack on to the end of your answer. How did you see your character change throughout the campaign? And then Bill will have you answer. How did your characters change throughout the campaign? <laughs> so, Ryan, go. Hooray! Okay, so um. The others kind of talked about how they like they were starting from like a story place, so like they had like an idea about things that they wanted to do. Um, I'm I'm the evil devil munchkin uh, that Steph was just talking about. I, I start almost entirely from uh, a position of mechanics whenever I'm building characters, um, and I, I'm the kind of broken that whenever I'm getting into a new game, I build dozens of characters sometimes um <laughs> it's a real problem where do you find the time just like asking for me oh my gosh he just does it like we were <laughs> at my parents house this weekend he's like hey beth pick a class and while we're like talking to my parents he builds a character while you were talking to the parents, dude, that's the time you haven't paid attention. Of multitasking, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, I I tend to like get very good at like cranking out of a bunch of characters pretty fast, um, and I, I I get pretty familiar with like a lot of the character optimization resources out there, um, and so I was pretty cognizant of the fact that I was coming into a game that had been running for quite a while at this point. Um, and so I, I didn't want to build anything like overly disruptive. Um, at least that was kind of my goal going in. Um, and so I wanted to play a character that was a little more reserved, um, but was like had like a weird edge because I I can't escape myself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I built a character uh, named Frey. Frey, um, they were a uh, non-binary human alchemist from uh, Irisen. Irisen is like uh, fantasy, like Slavic states, basically. Um, like the the nations run like a, covered in snow and dark forests, evil fairies. The the ruling class of the country is like a hereditary line of witches, uh, ruled over by Baba Yaga. That's the kind of thing you're dealing with there. Yeah. Baller. Yeah. 
so that kind of uh, that kind of vibe really appeals to me. And so I was like, okay, this character is from the uh, the the Irison court and was out traveling through uh, doing like a a survey of of the strange alien chemicals that uh, that exist in Numeria. And uh, uh, unfortunately, I was a fool and traveled alone. Uh, and I was I was kidnapped by uh, some some are they Velstrax, Beth? Cenobites are not Cenobites. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> My no. name took so, over. So, they, so, they, so they are Velstrax. They, they were Velstrax. Yeah, sorry. Ta- you guys stopped at Taco Bell, <laughs> or oh, what are they actually called, Ryan? I think they're Velstrax. I don't think so. No, they're they're something else. But uh, they the picture in the book they look like Hellraiser style Xenobites, and so that is what they were called the entire campaign. Is Cenobites? We just forgot what the original name was. Okay, so Chitons is what I was thinking, but Chitons I think are a type of Falstrak. Ah, okay. Anyway, I don't want to nerd out about the like the the naming history because I can, I can if you really want me to. I can talk. About I no, we we already have two questions for you to answer, and I think you're like halfway through them. So let's just keep trucking. You're right. You're right. You're right. I should definitely keep going. Um, so I, I really enjoy uh the the alchemist in Pathfinder one, but primarily for the. Uh, the mutagen and changing into like a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. I had never done a bomber before. Um, and so I decided to, to build a bomber uh, and it ended up working really, really well um, on top of basically being heavy artillery. Um, I was able to like hand out uh, elixirs to the rest to the rest of the group. To, like, so they could, they could buff themselves and like it was, there's a lot of really good utility. Mm-hmm. Um, I think best exemplified by, as Steph was saying, the giant dinosaur lady <laughs> and uh to your second question the kind of negative side effect of how i approach character building means i had a very specific vision of like who my character was going in um and so there wasn't a whole lot of uh like growth because that wasn't really what i was in for um i think the closest thing that i got to growth was um like taking on the role of like a, a a diplomat because like in between like one of the sections, uh, whenever we overthrew the previous black sovereign who was like the ancestral leader of the Kella tribes in Maria, um, uh, I I decided that my character was helping like build relations between Maria and Irison. Um, but yeah, that was that was about the extent of it. Uh, it was mostly just uh, an excuse to lob bombs at people, and, and I really enjoyed that. I will say, I think your character did relax a bit as we went on. Um, and your kind of weird little bomb goblin nature started coming out more and more. <laughs> bomb goblin. That's, that's probably fair. The cursed bombs were particularly nice. No, no, wow. As someone who's also played a bomb goblin, this is very relatable. It it feels good. It feels it really does. good. 
It's so cathartic. Yeah. It's absolutely terrifying. You're absolutely glad that they're on your side. Well, and, yeah. like, the specific build that I was going for, I was, like, lobbing, I was using, like, a specific type of bomb that just, like, every bomb I threw just also inflicted bestow curse. And I was throwing, like, seven bombs around. Um, and so, like, in one round, I was causing people to, like, have no stats um, or, like, have a 50% chance of doing nothing forever. Um, and it was it was pretty ridiculous. That's incredible. I love it. it. I'm sure it's one of those classes that really takes off at later levels, but since we were already kind of mid-tier by the time you joined us, you just came in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> yeah, it felt pretty good. That is how he came in. Pulled a really, a real Miley Cyrus. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, I look at Ryan and I'm like, that's a Miley Cyrus if I've ever seen one. I wish I had a joke right now, but I don't. <laughs> I do feel bad for Beth because she tried so hard to find ways to, like, get around how ridiculous we were getting by the end of it. I mean, yeah, because there's like only so much you can do, right? You can buff their HP, but you guys just synergize so well and just could kill things so easily. <laughs> oh, yeah. So easily. That, like, I had to buff their abilities and stuff. Like, I think a big part of it was that uh, we would do the synergy thing, but we would do it so quickly we had we had it down to a system where by the start of round two uh Olga is a gigantic dinosaur thing with an enemy on each side. One of those enemies is being flanked by the swashbuckler. There is a wall of flensing debris that is tearing one of those enemies and possibly somebody else to shreds. And if en- if anybody is not in that melee, or even if they are, they're getting curse bombed. Incredible. And yeah. so yeah, it was but by the end it was very much we we were just a a a, a butcher shop. Forced to be reckoned with. That, that's the nice way to put it yeah beautiful yeah yeah okay bill how did your characters how did the twins change over the course of the campaign so i started out playing anak the brash whose d- defining characteristic was rash decision making um <laughs> early on in the campaign um there's there's a point where we are um, dealing with some imposter or other. And we were debating, like, what do we do? Do we set this person free? Or, are we killing them? What are we doing? And, like, we had him tied to a chair or something. Um, Anak just walks up with the musket and just blows his brains out. And just uh, like, alright, that's that's the decision we made. Let's do it. That's that. And, 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 and like, it's... all of us, at this point, we're, we were gaming in, in person. So this is Pre-COVID, we're sitting at a physical table and we're just staring at him. 
Because, like, I didn't know he was going to do that. Like, they had, they were going to uh, interrogate him. But he had pretty much admitted to, like, ratting out this character's dad. Mm-hmm. Right? And he's very close. Yeah. And right now, I think you guys thought he was dead or had just found out he was actually alive. Something like that. I can't remember now because it's been so long. But, uh... You had either just found out he was alive or you still thought he was dead. And you were like, F you. You sold out my family. You sold out everything I love. Just pissed into the skull. I mean, the entire campaign is going on because you tried to kidnap me as a baby. So, you know. Um, so, yeah, they were they were both, while being, you know you know, good aligned, at least ostensibly, uh, they were both vicious, vicious motherfuckers uh, <laughs> when, it, when it came down to it. Um, um, and that was, that was just how, how they both were. So um, that's how we started out. Um, Anak, by the end of the campaign, I haven't actually been playing him all that much. And he um, is a much more professional craftsman because we were giving him all of our uh, weapons and armor to upgrade, as well as keeping him well-stocked in weird uh, materials. And um, I had him set himself up as basically the protector of Torch. So he went from being Which is very... the town you started. Yeah, mm-hmm. went from being uh, very brash, very short-sighted, to trying to protect a town against a siege he thinks is coming. Wow. Uh, so- and a community leader. Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty big difference. Yeah. Now, was he but, the one uh, who also ended up in charge of the Rope Fists, or was that your other character? No, that was Jode. That Jode- was Jode. Jode may have done a a little less uh, obvious growth, um, but that it was definitely because, was there. Yeah, Jode the subtle did not actually talk all that much a lot of the time. Shockingly, hmm. Um, so it it was harder to tell, but the way I played him um, made him much more. So he had the hedonist flaw. Um, I tried to roleplay that pretty well. I think um, did. And when we started out, um, like you, we meet the rope fist literally in torch. Like that's pretty early on. And so real quick, the rope fists were a gang that you were supposed to like beat up in a couple of fights, get a piece of equipment for, and then they just go away and you never see them again. But of course that's not what happened. Oh. So, uh, so rather than just like beat them up and dismantle them, um, Jode, being both a slightly shady sort, um, as I had been playing him, um, and and a hedonist, uh, Jode took it upon himself to take over leadership of the Rope Fists uh, in exchange for not fucking them up anymore. Um, and they took that deal, which was probably wise. Um, and so Joe just became leader of the Rope Fists and maintained that for the entire campaign. Entire campaign. This starts in book one, 
and it goes all the way to the end. It's beautiful. Uh, uh, Joe just, um, like, every time we went to a new city and Beth says, what are we doing? Uh, Joe is establishing a rope fist presence. <laughs> yes. Um, that, that was what he did with his downtime consistently. Um, and this so... is before downtime procedures, by the way. This is just when we have, because I like to build downtime for character growth, like mm-hmm. even though there weren't originally activities to do. No. So we would we would set up, okay, there's a month between this action and this action. You know, what do you, generally, what do your characters do? And it was always like establishing rope fist in uh, torch and then establishing them in scrap wall. And then uh, scrap wall, it was specifically we had cleared out an area everybody was too terrified to go into. Mm-hmm. And after mm-hmm. we did it, like, what are we doing with our downtime? Like, Jode is like taking ownership of that area. It, yeah, it, it is the rope fist now. Yeah. The scrap wall is this town that is essentially run by gangs. And then they become everyone's rival gang. Like they become the most powerful gang in the city by the time they end book two. <laughs> I found it kind of funny that we kept like jumping back and forth between uh running uh the rope fists and then also uh, me just deciding, okay, we're going to start the Numerian Resistance. You're Correct. against yeah, the Technic League, it, I'm against the Technic League, we're all against the Technic League. Here's buttons. I actually designed like uh, a, a little image of like a fist crushing a gear uh, as the symbol of the Technic, uh, as the Numerian Resistance. And so every time we had downtime, uh, Jode would be over here building up the rope fists and I would be over here building up contacts and allies for the Numerian resistance because we were going to take down the technically one way or the other. And it was this very interesting like synergy where it's like, okay, so you're going to be in charge of the criminal underbelly. I'm going to be over here in charge of all of the other miscreants. And by our powers combined, we yeah, yeah, and they the used world. all their gambling funds to fund the resistance. Yeah. Incredible. Uh, the the, the rope fist uh, proceeds went to the resistance. I also used rope fist supply lines to get uh, stuff back and forth from Torch, so a knot could work on all our gear. Uh, so your telekineticist could carry like how many thousands of pounds or something, and so they just uh, had this floating pile of trash next to them. At all. So with with the uh, one of the things I had him take, uh, it was a hundred pounds per level that he could do mm. with basic telekinesis. So, yeah, by by level 10, I think it hits hits a ton or something. Or I don't remember the exact numbers. It was ridiculous, though. Um, several hundred... I think by the time he took it, we were already level 6 or 7. Yeah. So, multiple hundreds of pounds of just random star metals that he was finding in these ruins. Just like, yep, taking that home with me. And that's how they would craft their weapons and armor and stuff. And then feed our pet. Ah, oh. uh, yes. That is true. We are missing one person from this party. You you guys have had a pet this whole time? Yes. We, we picked up a lot of pets. Pen, Penny had a dog when we first started. He didn't really uh, come up very often. Wait, she. Her name was Betsy. 
she didn't come up very often, but she was always there. And actually, there was a storyline of like, okay, we have to submerge ourselves underwater. How do we do this with the dog? Uh, which I still think is hilarious uh, that they gave this dog a water breathing potion. Um, and, uh, and then later they kind of left the dog back in torch um, and kind of went on their way. And then later they found a baby armivorax, which is a six armed Fox weasel thing uh, that eats metal. Star metal is, very tasty. And so they would just pick up these rare alloys out and about of spaceships that have fallen from the sky and just feed it to their, you know, little friend who followed them around trying to eat their weapons all the time. Yeah. Olga would have to keep her anime sword like up and out of his hands or he'd try to eat it. Yeah, so it was uh it was funny because we looked it up in the uh in the books and you can tame a baby armvorex, but you could only do it when they're a baby. You cannot tame an adult one. And like the animal handling role for it was pretty high. And I can't remember if it was me or somebody else ended up like, I thought it might've been Penny, but it was your Penny. It, it was either me or Penny. We were like, okay, you know what? We're, we're going to do it. And Penny had the idea to just start taking bits of metal off of Jode's, giant mobile trash heap and like <laughs> essentially creating like a breadcrumb trail to try and lure it towards us and eventually manage to actually roll well enough to to tame him we named him Ari and he managed all the way until we got to we kept him until all the way we got to Starfall I think is when we finally yeah book book 5 you're like okay stay in the city we're not going to take you deep into the mountains where there's even more rare metals. We don't want you to get killed by the boss. Yeah. You actually let them have a pet. I, I know Jesse yeah. has been struggling to get a bird for her character, an animal companion. Yeah, but man. <laughs> no, nope, just give well, them a freaking Vorax. Well, there, there was also uh, Billy the Human Boy. Oh, I forgot about Billy the Human Boy. Sorry, what? Oh. <laughs> so our other player who had to drop out uh, was played by a good friend of ours named TJ. And he was also playing a side, a, a gender fluid... Uh, I can't remember. Android. Well, yeah, gender fluid android. I can't remember what the class was, is what I was trying to remember. Uh, but it was essentially based off of Rose Quartz from Steven Universe. Mm -hmm. So Love. all mm -hmm. of the powers were were essentially based off of that. But what she decide, uh, but what he, sometimes he, sometimes she, uh, what they decided uh, was that uh, Shannon, the character, was fascinated by human culture and children and had stumbled upon this quote unquote child lost in the woods and decided to adopt them. Now, originally this companion character this was, truly was a human child at first, at first, it's like a real, just a uh, human a child. Real, wait, sorry. At first, yep. at first, <laughs> but we couldn't, help constantly 
playing him off as this sarcastic, jaded little jackass to the point that someone's like, is that just a halfling who's got the childlike trait? And eventually just stuck. And we made it canon in the game that no, Shannon had just rolled so poorly to realize that this was not in fact an actual eight-year-old child. This was a grown-ass halfling who was just playing along to the bit because it was funny and he got away with shit and free food that's Uh, incredible so he's a leader of the gang and starts smuggling information through all the towns and stuff yes he becomes a major part of the the numerian resistance yeah shannon thinks that she has adopted a child and Joe, throughout the- Joe would routinely give uh, give Billy uh, little bitty jobs, but also they were opposing con men early on. Uh, oh yeah, because Joe knew immediately. But that's a halfling pretending to be a child. Uh, Many people thought that's a halfling. When I joined the group, I I immediately recognized it as a halfling. Yeah. Uh, and but my androids, both of them, were dummies, and I loved it. <laughs> and we just didn't have the heart to really just be like, okay, no. no, you have to like this is this is not a child. Shannon would ground this adult man <laughs> and then give him a sippy cup, which he filled with full food. of liquor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> incredible. I guess. I guess. Does, does this cover our next quest question, which was, what's your favorite story thread? No. No. <laughs> nothing that we have talked about is in the books. No, that's probably a more memorable NPC. <laughs> All of our be honest. Like, we haven't yeah, even talked about fair. Jerry yet or anything like that. No, you haven't talked about Jerry yet. Like, that's the thing. It's like... One of the things people talk about with these APs is that, you know, it's kind of railroady, and it definitely can be. Um, mm-hmm. You kind of have to have that buy-in when you play an AP. And we definitely did, right? We knew there was going to be this set story. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I, as a GM, try to excel at, like, is a big focus for me, is taking these memorable events and keep going with those threads. You know, you don't have to go and completely lose the plot of the of the AP. But if your characters want to run a side hustle that involves a gang that they just beat up, let them do it. And it becomes very memorable to the story. Absolutely. And uh, and then we all begin to create this story together. That just becomes something that you remember forever. Mm-hmm. So, best plot thread. I personally believe, well, there's two, okay? Two plot th- threads that I think are the best. The one with the Black Sovereign and how that all ended was mm-hmm. really, really fun, right? Because there's tie-in from all the characters. Yeah. This is book five. Book five, best book, in my opinion ties everything together probably should have been the ending but you know that's neither here nor there because then some other stuff we need resolved but you're taking down the technic league 
Yeah. Six is just kind of the dungeon crawl to the end of the adventure, right? It is. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So book five is, uh, we are rewriting the world as we freaking know it. Our resistance is going. We get to take down the baddies. Like, these bad people that have been running the entire country. Right? We get to determine the outcome of an entire country in this book. And so that whole plot thread of uh, the Black Sovereign and... and fighting him who you know is drug addicted he's being con drug controlled by the technic league you know you gotta take down the technic league and then you make an ally with um kenneth cole who is his essentially wife uh and you find out that she wants to become the black sovereign so that her wife can be free because she's an android and, like, again, that was not the books. That was something I made up. Uh, but I felt like it really tied the reason of why you want to be friends with her. Right? And that can free the characters up to either take the throne if they want it, or let this person who has kind of the same moral compass as them take it mm -hmm. and run with it. And, and, and it was kind of this big decision. Especially since we had made it very clear the entire time, like, as we had progressed throughout the game, we had decided that we had two androids on our team. Essentially, every non-insane android or construct that we met, that we could convince- Even summoned creatures! Yeah, every creature we met that we could convince to turn to our side, every alien that we met that didn't, like, outright try to kill us- we would, uh, like, convince, like, hey, look, I understand you're out here alone, you're scared, things aren't going well for you. We have a place back in Torch. <laughs> and we can help you get there. And, you know, you can make a life for yourself. And so by book five, Torch is turned into this kind of, like, weird alien kind of, like, mecha where you've got multiple races running around, you've got... Honestly, uh, it had become that by end of book uh, three. That's true. But by the end of book one, it was just surrounded by carnivorous plant people. <laughs> that is true, because you did let the plant people go. We did let the pygmies go, um, because they were just too cute, and we didn't ask questions about how they respond. I thought we, I'm pretty sure we knew. We did we know, just... and we pretended <laughs> not to know. Be Explanation. Uh, so veggie pygmies are cute little, like, they look kind of like little indigenous pygmies made out of plants. Uh, yeah. And uh, they kind of talk about people. Boys. Yeah. But uh, the way that they reproduce is in these inside the corpses of other creatures. So we run across them... In humanoid creatures. Yeah, humanoid creatures specifically. Uh, and so the idea is when we first ran across them, we fought a couple of them. You know, because we were some of the first humanoid corpses they had seen in a while, and it, it would be really easy to just kill us and then, uh, you know, have babies. But uh, Penny... As you do. <laughs> ...thought that they were adorable and the cutest things ever... And 
whether or not they were lying, they convinced her that if we let them go up to the surface and away from town, that they wouldn't be a problem. And so there is just this population of veggie pygmies living in the surrounding areas around Torch and... Well, we just didn't ask too many questions about, like, the local population or anything like that. Hopefully, they're only using already dead humanoids. We did make them promise. We did make them promise. They did make them promise. That was part of the the treaty agreement. (laughs) I believe that Penny might have made them pinky promise, actually. Good. That does sound familiar. I, I wouldn't be surprised. It's something Penny would do. Absolutely. Yeah, no, wherever they went, they made friends. Yeah, by reproducing. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it gets kind of graphic, but there is a story that I will tell at some point about... Uh... <laughs> yeah. Penny wanted to carry the children of uh, an alien species that normally kills you. It was really terrible. Uh, But uh, it was a really interesting campaign because they didn't go full murder hobo unless they really had to. Or if they, like, needed vengeance for something. Like, oh, you're technically? No questions asked. We're going to kill you now. That yeah. seems fair. It is worth what? noting that my character, Frey, was not a good character. Lawful neutral. So You love to see oh, it. Oh, I don't think Jode was good. No, Jode was chaotic good. Uh, oh, he was chaotic good. Okay. Jode was mm. just more chaotic than good. Mm. I think I was lawful neutral too, if I remember correctly. But... Yeah, were there any other story threads that you guys thought were like... Your favorites? So, I mean, if I can just straight up spoil the ending of the module, I guess. Please. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, when I first my, when my, when I first joined the group, uh, part of me joining was being plugged into this computer with uh, this former android turned AI uh, named Cassandra Lee. Um, you may have heard of her possible, especially if you've played uh, Pathfinder 2. Um, she's, she's become kind of a big deal. We'll get to that eventually, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so I just like I immediately bonded with this like artificial intelligence and ended up like, just like walking around with like an iPad plugged into my head. Um, it was like forced like cranial surgery. No big deal. Um, from the chitons yeah um, and so like we just kind of like kept her with us and she followed us along she was like tied to this powerful artificial intelligence come god uh, that uh, we're really excited to deal with and uh, she like had like, a lot of like I don't know, context for, like, the spaceships and stuff, because that's how she arrived on Galarian. Right. Because she was, you know, so many thousands of years old. 
Yeah. And I just have to say that I think my favorite plot thread was really the the one that we kind of created throughout the adventure, which is we decided pretty early on that like we were going to kind of really just embrace all the races and the creatures that we found and stuff like that. And that we were going to essentially build a new Numeria that was this kind of like new, uh, like technology forward country. And even up to like the very end, uh, when we find an entire race of androids in the, the final dungeon or the big ship, uh, mm-hmm. we're like, hey, how can we resolve this without murdering everybody? Because we just really want to tell you that there's a much bigger world outside and you guys can all join it, you know, as soon as you want to. And, you know, come out and, uh, you know, explore the world and stuff like that. Even at the end, we were still, like, recruiting robots and stuff uh, that we found in different parts of the ship. Um. And so we only really, like, took out the folks that we absolutely had to. So I I really liked that. Yeah, that... I definitely understand what you're saying with that. I tried very hard... Like, of course we had the threads of each book, right? In an adventure path, you have six books. Each book has its highs and lows. Uh, But I tried to weave as many story threads as I could through all of the books. Right, so that it wasn't just uh, one thing or another. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just the primary focus of the campaign. There were these little things that would happen too. So I'm gonna be honest I, that uh, it's it sounds a lot like uh the storyline to that time I got reincarnated as a slime. I don't know if anybody else has watched that, but uh, I have no. not. But I've been told to a I've, a plus. I've been heard. I've heard about it, but I have not watched it yet. It, a it plus. Is, it, I don't know if you would call this an isekai story, but it is very like this is the one. Uh, I will say this about Iron Gods. This is the one where you can really see the influences that Pathfinder used. Like, they wore their references on their sleeves um, in this mm-hmm, one. Yes. Uh, like, the the veneer of, like, we're going to paint over what is obviously, like, a creature from the Aliens franchise and pass it off as a unique monster. It's a real thin veneer. It just, it just rubs right yeah. off. Yeah. Uh, we had the Xenobites from Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. We had um, like just constant, constant references to this or that, um, and you could really see like where they were pulling their influences from. And like in in some circumstances, it could feel a little cheesy, but you know we had already bought into the world at this point, so it was fun. That's great. Oh yeah, and then we had to fight like the giant Cthulhu monster from Beyond Space and Time. There was that one too. Yeah. It's just like a side note. Yeah. That was fun. That was uh the Valley of the Brain Eaters. This was book five uh four. Book the four. Scar of the Spider was this whole like little tangent mm. quest that we had to go out there to find one specific thing. 
which was Cassandra Lee's brain, um, as it were, mm -hmm. uh, attached to Frey, we were to find out, uh, which was a really good way to actually introduce the character, because Scar the Spider was where things had really started, I think, to break down. Like... It was not my favorite book. Well, like, we were also struggling, like, I wasn't happy with my class at that point, and was was struggling. That was really when um, when TJ finally just wasn't able to start to keep making it, and he was struggling with his character. Um, I think we just weren't having a good time when we were in that book. Uh, and especially when TJ had to kind of drop out, we had... We had several sessions before uh, Ryan decided to join us uh, that it was just a slog. It was like one one fight and we barely make it. And then we got to go like mm -hmm. hide for a while and like completely rest up. And then we got to be real careful because there's just three of us now uh, in a party that, you know, in an area that probably at minimum needed four people, five, when we had five, it was great. I ended up introducing one of the NPCs as actual playable uh, NPC. So I uh, w joined combat as Azuma, who was an alien that you met in this valley, uh, mm -hmm. to kind of help yeah. with that until Ryan ended up joining us. And I want to so. say thank you, Ryan, for actually agreeing to join us. Because I, I know that there had been like some hesitancy at first and I think you were a really good addition to the group. And at, at this point, you know, I, I think it wouldn't have been as fun a campaign if you hadn't joined. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I had a good time. I got. Yeah. It, for GMs out there, like don't be afraid to introduce a new character halfway through an adventure path. You know, yeah, they're not going to have the same history as everybody else, but as long as you make an effort to to make sure they're included and uh, get those story hooks, uh, the people at the table aren't going to care, right? Like, again, we're here to create a story together. So, you know, if you need another player, yeah, do it. Yeah, I'm in a D&D &D campaign, and we had somebody join partway through, and it was like we were journeying through a dungeon, and we discovered you know this person who it well i person um but who had been trapped in a library for 1700 years and so then they joined our party because they were like yeah i'd really love to like not hang out in this library anymore and we were like yeah bro come with us so totally doable if you if you work it in um i'm gonna skip a couple questions because you guys really teed up the segue to ryan how did it feel to join the campaign halfway through? Um, pretty yeah. It was I think it was solid. Um, these people were all my friends from like other things prior to this, so it wasn't like I was meeting anyone new. Um, and even if it had like I'm pretty uh socially fluid, and it was fun. Like it was a good group, it was a good story. Uh, Beth is an incredible GM. Uh, and so it was just a, a ton of fun. Yes, I second that. I see you looking over there and not shaking your head, Beth. Beth was an amazing GM. Beth, how did it feel running a high-tech campaign? 
Oh, that's... Okay, so I just want to put it out there that sci-fi uh, is not actually my favorite thing what? to run. Get out of here. Uh, Excuse you? Fantasy is my jam. I have been dragons and swords and magic since before I knew what D&D was. Like, I have put myself in those types of narratives my entire life because those are the books that my sister read and that I could get my hands on from my library. Sci-fi was a thing that my uncle was into. And I was like, oh, whatever. He just likes these weird sci-fi books with, like, Booberella on the cover, right? I don't really care for it. And so it's never been anything that I've gravitated towards. But when we first started, I knew this was the campaign that my players wanted to play. Like, we had talked about it. Uh, none of us had played it yet. And uh, Numeria is one of those uh, countries that I just had never explored. And so uh, I was really nervous about it, uh, running such a high-tech campaign. And at first, I would go to these lengths to describe something that I could have just said, oh, it's a cell phone or, oh, it's a touch screen, right? And like us, the humans have this context in our brains for what that is. I really tried, especially in the beginning, uh, describing these things as if you didn't know what they were. And there is only so many ways you can describe a touch screen before eventually you're like, it's a touch screen. Okay, figure it out. You're fine. <laughs> but, like, I would say I would do these, like, linguistic uh, somersaults of, like, how do I just... Okay, there's this bathroom, but I'm not going to describe it as a bathroom. So I sci described sci-fi toilets. And, like, five minutes later, Bill's like, Wait, is this just the bathroom? There were definitely times where it didn't take five minutes. There. <laughs> Bill, I love that that was your critique. You were like, no, this is definitely a thing that happens, but sometimes it didn't take me a full five minutes. Listen, I I can put the pieces <laughs> together. Well, occasionally she would also be so good at it, we would be like, I, I don't know what this is. What is this? <laughs> I, I think this is the opposite. I'd be so bad at it, you wouldn't know what Probably it the is. Other <laughs> like, so once once I caught on that that Beth was a devotee of the dungeons should have bathrooms uh, school of thought, I started keeping an eye on any rooms on the map that just kind of got glossed over. Um, if there was a small room on the map that we didn't talk much about, I was just like, so is that so is that the bathrooms for this level? Especially in the last book, when we're when we're just marching through a spaceship. Yeah, I'm on Beth's side on this one, though. Like bathrooms oh. are an, an important function. Oh, oh no, I've I've read entire like uh, map maker critiques. Like, why do all the, all of these you know things that are theoretically like homes not have any bathrooms in them? And I'm totally I'm here for it. Like, yeah, no doubt. Um, but it it just like it became a thing that like I kept an eye out for. That's so good. 
I think I think the one that I spent the most time describing, and it took you guys like a couple of times interacting with it to figure out what it was, were the decontamination uh, rooms in the first dungeon. And then every dungeon you went into after, you were like, oh, that's what this is. We step inside, the door closes, it sprays us with air, Unless and then we walk through the next door. And then electrocute And like, <laughs> right, which that did happen too. Um, but they would interact with these for the rest of the campaign. And so eventually, you know, their characters learned what those were. And so then I would call them by their name. Another thing, elevators. The first time I described an elevator, it wasn't, you know, you know, I described how uh, the functionality worked. Like, this will take you vertically to another level. And then later, they, you know, essentially I would say, oh, it's an elevator. Because they knew what, their characters knew what it was then. And so it was really fun but awkward in the beginning to describe what a laser gun does. You beat me to the sound of that. Yeah. So, like, you know, <laughs> it, it was it was extremely challenging, but something that actually made me like the system more, or the setting, like, it made me like Numeria more, knowing that, like, okay, I have all this technology that I have to describe, but also it's a space ghost, and you're going to have to fight it. See, honestly... I'd have rather fought space ghosts than some of the things we do fight in this campaign. Do so. you remember the space ghosts from Scrapwall? They were assholes. Oh, I would definitely rather fight space ghosts, the cartoon character, than those fucking space ghosts that oh. we fought in Scrapwall. I was like, wait a second. Like, the actual space ghosts we fought, they were... Ugh. Th those were right up there with... Uh, the giant mosquitoes from 5e, uh, <laughs> Sturges, yes. as far as being annoying to fight. Death by a swarm <laughs> of Sturges. Uh, we nearly terrible. died when you put us up against Sturges that time. I, I know, I know. <laughs> it was hilarious. Uh, but I also let you guys kind of take that uh, Minds of Fandelver campaign and actually kind of run it off and do your own thing with it. And you had a lot yeah. of fun with it. And so I was really appreciative when uh, Beth kind of let us do that for this campaign, because I've played with plenty of other GMs who have a much more what's in the book is in the book, and that's it, and we're, we're not going to deviate right. from it. Um, and it, it kind of, it almost feels like, because by our nature, people who are playing role-playing games are a little bit storyteller, a little bit munchkin, uh, like just a little bit of a gremlin. We're, we're here to have fun, and sometimes that's fun. Sometimes mm. it's hijinks. Sometimes you know it's actual like character moments and being serious. Sometimes it's beating up the bad guy and just really going to town and like a whole bunch of kobolds. <laughs> but uh, having a situation where you can't kind of insert yourself into the story, you kind of just feel like you're the placeholder that's like progressing along the track can be really frustrating. It was actually a very interesting thing because I was playing in another long form campaign, a, a fifth ed D and D game that's actually still going on with a completely different GM and a completely different crew. And we started almost the exact same time uh, that we had started 
this one, and we're still trying to get through that one because of scheduling conflicts and stuff like that. But this Pathfinder game, Iron Gods, because Beth was so willing to kind of meet us where we were and incorporate our bits of the story into it, I had so much more fun. Like, I was invested in this story. I cared about my character, even when the technical aspects of my character were frustrating. I really cared about, like, the world and, like, her personality and, and like, how we were interacting with it. And the goals, yeah. And her goals. Always had that goal in mind, I'm going to take down the Technic League and kill the Black Sovereign. And I'm so happy that you guys actually let me duel the Black Sovereign at the end. I understand that Penny would have killed him so much easier. And you probably cheesed it just a little bit because he was about to kick my ass. I get that. I, I do. No. But... I didn't, really. Not really at all. Like, you really did... He got up. several good hits in at first. It was it was a little touch and go there. But like that was a big character moment for my character, so I really appreciated that. And I had a, a really stark comparison to another long-form campaign where when you don't get that level of like interaction with the story, it can kind of feel like something's missing. And it can kind of make the uh, mm-hmm. these adventure paths or or campaigns or any sort of like pre-written material, it can kind of make it feel kind of stale if you if you can't put your stamp on it and make it yours. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're gonna do a little bit of a rapid fire, but I want everybody's uh favorite and least favorite thing about the Iron Gods campaign. Bill, you go first. My favorite thing about the campaign as a whole—that is, yes, th- that is difficult. Uh, I'm just gonna. You should have been. You should have been reflecting this whole thing, time. Bill. Let's go. You're right. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give you the the story that I didn't <laughs> find a place for earlier. Then, um, at one point, we are being attacked by, and please correct me if I'm wrong. And I believe it was a ogre being pulled by two trolls oh yes or i might have that backwards well that was good. yes no. sorry what um so one giant enemy is on a chariot oh, i forgot the story and being pulled by two other technically uh you know large-sized humanoids so we're just we've just got a chariot mm-hmm. of of three huge about to beat the shit out of us humanoids coming at us we are not all that high level yet um but we had recently found some silex in the detonator um <laughs> and i am playing i am playing joe the telekinetic um so silex C4. is C4. It's, yeah it's, C4. it's plastic explosive ah okay, okay. so um <laughs> i i made a uh telekinetic blast not against any of the enemies, but rather against the uh, chariot itself. My ammunition was the entire block of Silex we had on us. Because again, he's a oh telekinetic. So he can move shit with oh. his mind. So I broke the chariot with the plastic explosive and then set it off. <laughs> and like killed both of the Trolls, right? Because they have whatever was pulling it, they, they both died. Yeah, they have burned fire. fire. So, like, just wreck them. 
That is beautiful. I, yep. Oh my yeah. god. Absolutely <laughs> this, wrecked. This sounds like a classic case of like the GM sets up this whole thing and thinks it's gonna be really difficult and forgets about like the one key ability of one player and you're just like, I'm sorry. You didn't plan enough for this encounter, and it just messes everything up, and it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. It was Oh, it was it was hilarious. Well, flat out, it was an encounter. I was gearing up to take like an hour and a half yeah. of combat, maybe even two hours of combat, and they explode the cart. <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> I mean, I ran with it, obviously, because it's awesome, and I'm not... What am I gonna do? Tell no. them no? <laughs> no? Tell them no, they can't blow up this cart. <laughs> Hell no. And it is literally something that happened in book two that they have talked about <laughs> ever since. That's a great story. Uh, I also, similarly, and I maybe should have not gotten away with this, but I did collapse part of an enormous spaceship by, I don't know if anybody's ever made a sparkler bomb, but I basically made a sparkler bomb out of every concussion grenade we had found up to this point, which was 25. A whole bunch of ion uh, tape. Some ion tape to hold it all together. Um, and then wired it all to a single detonator and made sure we were all very, very far away. Ion Tape, once again, the MVP of this yeah. campaign. Oh, Ion Tape is fucking fantastic. Oh, 100%. We things. They bought extra rolls We tracked of things stuff. with it. We uh, protected ourselves over overnight while resting with it. Um I used it right at the end. Uh, I used it to straight up attach a bomb to something because I really wanted to make sure it worked. Uh, when, when I did uh, concussion bombs, spar- sparklers, redux. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ion is essentially tape. Like you can think of it as, as electrical tape that's kind of wide that you tape something closed and then you. Uh, activate it with an electric charge, and then it becomes as solid it, as It's basically steel. welding tape. Magical. Yeah, That's welding incredible. tape. Yeah, yeah. You I tape something, it. you shock it, and then it becomes a weld. And then and you can so shock it again, yeah. and it, it stops being uh, <sighs> strong again. On, off, on, off. Oh my gosh, I want this. And so very yeah. early on, we Keep found characters this stuff. And we found uh, these little things called zip sticks, and literally their only purpose was to provide a small electrical charge. Uh, and they, you could like yep. attack someone with them, but they did almost no- nothing. So the, the really the only thing they were useful for was activating this ion tape. And it took us a hot second. Like, it took us a couple encounters before we were like, wait, how strong does this get? When we actually activate it? Like, what? Because it was like a... It was like a strength was 24 a, or something like that. It was ridiculous. A significant strength check to burst it, yeah. And so early on, we were just like, oh, you come come to this room, and there's a bunch of like robots in you know, charging tubes or whatever. We're like, yep, just going to tape those up. Ta- tape those shut. <laughs> they avoided a lot of encounter. Just like random encounters by just take you know what i don't want to deal with what's in that room just Work gonna take smarter that not harder I can't get out no more yeah like, Sorry, is there a coffin just sitting in the room nah i don't trust that <laughs> <That's right. laughs> nope. Mm-hmm. nope 
There was a summoning yep. circle one time that they'd like, they, they literally walked into this room. There's a giant summoning circle. They know that if they walk into the summoning circle, it summons this demon, this Leku demon. And they literally like, no, nah. we're just not going to do that. And so they just never go back into that room ever. I think That's that is so one of my favorite. Like the ability of my players to avoid combat. They're like, we know we're going to nah. level up. This is story leveling anyway. We don't have to fight this stuff. That's incredible. (laughs) Why? That was my favorite part of the campaign, is the absolute ingenuity of not going into combat. Most of us only really wanted to take down the Technic League and or the Black Sovereign. Everything else was negotiable this entire time. We didn't give a shit. Yeah. (laughs) We had one job. Did not care. That's incredible. So they made friends with literally... Uh, like aliens from the outer planes that were uh, kind of maybe probably evil. They made friends. We with almost them. made friends with that uh, that vortex, or not the vortex what? dragon. The the dragon before that, the uh... the dragon in the valley. We almost made friends with him, and then when we said he couldn't just do whatever the fuck he wanted, uh, he he just... then he, he was like, well, if you're not gonna let me do, you know. You know, eat all your friends or whatever. We can't be friends. So then we. I love that there were so many dragons that you were like, oh, it wasn't this dragon. It was the one before that. You know, it wasn't Dragon 54. It was Dragon 53 that we met. That I think it was actually only the two. Wasn't that many dragons? It was just the two. Oh, okay. Never mind. Void dragon, which I think is the one that we met right in the the scar. uh, Okay, and then it was a. The Vortex Dragon was the one we met in Scar the Spider? No, the, the Vortex yeah. Dragon's at the end, because that's the one you had art for. Oh, okay, so it was a Void Dragon. Oh, you're right, you're right. Was the yeah. one who was like, he was, was a void the dragon. second in command yeah. to the big, like, elder evil from beyond space and time that was just hanging out in this valley in the middle of nowhere. Uh... And he's like, yeah, I'll totally let you kill that guy, and you know, we can, like, call a truce as long as you don't stop me because I'm eventually going to take over this little organization and spread my evil. And we're like, yeah, you had me up until then. Not gonna lie, they had us in the first half. Yeah. They're like, you know, his offer was basically, you don't have to fight me and I won't try to stop you. And we're like, "We're, we're willing to take that. And it's like, by the way, as soon as I as soon as you leave, I'm gonna go, you know, spread Thuluness. Yeah. Murder. Kill everything. And we're like, ah, damn it, now we have to kill you. We still didn't kill those Mego. <laughs> <laughs> I should have let Penny convince me not to kill them. <laughs> Okay, quick quick side note. I did see like a bumper sticker today that just said fire dragons on it, and I couldn't tell if it was like fire dragons, like a type, or if it was like fire dragons, like an action or like a demand that the dragons should no longer work here. It was a very confusing bumper sticker. I thought sticker. you meant fire dragons, like fire them out we of the We have some unions. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> We have some Numerian unions that would be very against the I, I, I'm very pro-dragon labor, so that's right. We, we started a labor union. I forgot about that. Numeria. <laughs> yeah. Also Fight Club. We did. So that, I think, is actually going to be club. my favorite thing 
uh from okay okay wait first bill least favorite thing bill least favorite thing and then we can move on to steph least favorite thing is that mechanically a knock the brash did not work it out work out at all the way i wanted him to but i'm very happy with how jode uh worked out so i don't actually feel that bad about it (laughs) perfect like the the tech the, the text slinger thing just just was not working out. Mm-hmm. It, the, cool. the game just was not giving out the number of technological weapons that I thought it was. So we're halfway through book one. I'm playing a text slinger archetype, and I'm still using a musket. I was like, well, this isn't... That doesn't isn't seem shit. right. Yeah, like, what am I doing? I'm going to play telekinetic again. Screw this. <laughs> okay Steph best and worst so I think one of the one of my favorite things that we ended up doing is taking down the Technic League and everything we did that and we had we did the the duel with the Black Sovereign which I thought was going to be my favorite thing until we get set up. I'm sorry. No, we take down the Black Sovereign, and then we have to go take down the Technic League. That was the order of events. So we 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 battle the Black Sovereign, Correct. and yeah. then uh, uh, Kalinkit is like, "Okay, I'm the new Black Sovereign now. Here is a secret underground tunnel for you guys to get into the Technic League base, so you can go and take them out from the inside because they've kind of like holed up, watching everything. It'll be real hard to get in." And we're like, "All right." So we go down into essentially the basement and we find the original Black Sovereign is a ghost that has been inhabiting uh, a robot just down here on top of the ziggurat, just underground. And apparently every year they have to like bring a robot down here to fight her as like a sacrifice and we are all like oh god we don't what what, how do we how do we handle this because we have two androids in our party and she's like i want to fight you guys i want to fight you and i can't remember who it was jode was it you who convinced i think it was penny actually who was like what if we got willing people to come fight you and so we essentially convinced the ghost of the original Black Sovereign that, you know what, having only one fight a year, that's boring. You want to know it would be much more fun? Fighting willing participants once a week in front of a crowd of spectators who pay a modest fee to watch the proceedings. And, you know, at this point, you know, there'll be some wedding going on and stuff like that. And so she's like, you know what? You're right. I'm really bored down here. I've really kind of been doing this because I kind of felt like I had to. But that sounds fun. So like, just just don't kill them. And then you yep. can fight them again later after they after they're repaired. You know, just true. And so we essentially took over and created a an underground fight club that created fight club. Uh, with a ghost, ghost versus with a robot ghost. fight club. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the ghost gets to possess whatever broken android that she wants to, and there you go. 
because uh, that one got real close. It was really great. It was heaven. This is right after they talked to an ogre and convinced them to create a labor union from the dregs of, of the Technic us. League. Um, it, yeah, correct. I would watch this movie. I would watch this movie so hard. <laughs> Told you, book five, best book. book. Yeah. Best book was book five, hands down. Mm-hmm. One was really good. One was a really good hook. Two was kind of fun because you got into Scrap Wall, but there was like a side dungeon that kind of sucked. And that's my least favorite is how much like filler for experience the story needed that I hated. Milestone leveling, favorite uh, side rule ever. Uh, but anyway, uh, it, it was just book one and two were great. And then five yeah. was just excellent. My Excellent. least favorite, though, I have to say, was definitely, like, Scar the Spider felt so filler the entire thing. And it was a little yeah. bit because it was a slog, because we were, like, I don't want to say we were underleveled, but, like, because we were essentially down a character, and it was... It was kind of in the middle of us all like having stuff going on in our lives and stuff was just kind of stressful. Right at the height of uh, yeah, that was, COVID, I do that believe. That was like right at the height of COVID. Everyone was stressed out. Um, you know, our friend, right, right our at the friend dropped COVID, out, I mean. you know, because of his mom's medical issues and he was too busy taking care of her. And, uh, and it's just, it was not a great it was a fight. Like it was... You're fighting Elder. Yeah, it, 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 it felt a like a quest side quest that was an, almost a whole book long. That also, it just it wasn't as fun. We made one friend out of that, uh, Asuma the Kasatha, which was great. Don't get me wrong, but pretty much every other creature we met there, forearmed, yeah, uh, forearmed alien lady. That's what Kasatha cool. are, and we gave her one of our big guns. Uh, and but all the other creatures were like eldritch you know unknowable abominations from beyond the stars that yeah that was where we first ran into the cenobites we had to deal with all of those um sphincter doors uh that yeah so the entire dungeon (laughs) what sorry what the entire Mm. dungeon (laughs) is coated in a layer of (laughs) I don't want to say flesh, but like flesh, and every door is essentially a butthole. Yeah, and the way that we got through them, yeah, the way that we got through them was to rub chili pepper on them. This is not a joke. This is written. This is not. I didn't make this up. This is written in the module. We could open them up by rubbing chili peppers on them because we made fun, made friends, kind of, with a senile old farmer. Who made tainted vegetables? Made named Mad Pater. Correct. Also <laughs> in the book. Uh, so the the ships from the uh, like what's the, the name of the organization, Ryan? Dominion of the Black. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think is what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so all of their spaceships are biological spaceships. All their spaceships right? are so biological spaceships. Living, breathing. Yeah. 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 They're giant space whales that they have bi- oh. uh, like bent to their will, and uh, so all of the doorways are biological. Like you have to yeah. get 
to them. I have a serious question. The only other way you know? to open them was to chop off the hand of one of these giant bug creatures and stick a finger in it. Well, I I kind of might prefer that. I don't. <laughs> this is the least subtle thing I've ever heard, and I have a legitimate question. And that question is if there are just a bunch of these on the ship, why uh-huh. would they not be like blood vessel like flappy doors? You know, like the one way in your veins. Why would they not be that instead of or like, like Halo 1? Maybe they have a little the pressure point situation. thing over here where they can just push and like a button. Why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, they need them to be functional both I mean, they ways. Wow. Heart valve they style come, ones. They gotta, no, they, they gotta chose be the outies and innies. I assume is, because Paizo is. thought it was funny. God bless and you, Paizo. No, it's entertainment. I, I maintain this is just an alien spaceship trope. Uh, Absolutely. Baldur's Gate, Baldur's Gate 3, uh, the Mind Flayer ship, Sphincter mm-hmm. Doors. I forget which Halo game it was, but one of them where you're on uh, a flood ship. Sphincter doors. Uh, I, I believe uh, somebody told me the most recent Duke Nukem sphincter doors. It, it's it's apparently a thing. There's a difference though. Sorry. Man. <laughs> oh jeez. There's there's a difference though in like depicting this in a graphical way and having some random GM have to describe the said butthole door to her their players. <laughs> Yeah, Beth, how did you describe the butthole doors? Did you were you trying to be artistic about it? Yeah. Oh yeah, I've seen this trope enough times. So this one took less than five minutes. Yeah. So wait, wait. When when you guys were all very confused as to what she was describing, did Beth then just pick up one of her cats, turn it around, like, here's the picture. Here's the door. No. <laughs> no, I did not do that. I did well, not we, we moon were, my cat's butthole. We weren't playing at, at Beth's place, and uh, yeah, the, yeah, I'm really the, the sad by have, it. Uh, cooperated, our cats. Beth, Beth, yeah, Beth, Beth didn't have any regrets, and now she has exactly one regret, and it's not doing that. Yeah. So I, I'm going to I'm going to read a passage from from this book so that you guys can get what I'm okay, working okay. with. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is our least favorite book of the series. I think everybody can agree with that, Ryan. You came in towards the end of it, but like least favorite book. Five fleshy tunnels enter this damn already chamber. bad. The moist floor is. The moist floor is irregular, a deep green with grayish tumor-like growths scatter across the surface. It has an unsettling appearance of moist folds of skin within some grotesque beast's mouth. To the west, the walls clinch down into a tangle of pink dripping fibers that seem to mostly, although not entirely, block the passage into the area beyond. It took me two minutes, like two seconds to find that passage, by the way. That's how they all sound. (laughs) Moist and dripping and pink. No. No, I couldn't. 
It was very awkward. <laughs> I have exactly one regret now, and it's that. I wish I could go back to before the time when I heard that passage. Yep. And then just imagine, like, literally almost, like, because we also had to take a couple breaks in the middle of that. Like, this was almost, like, they were all like a that. good six months, which just <laughs> stuck inside these buttholes. <laughs> And just not having a good time. And everything wanted to kill us. And if it wasn't biological, it was like giant mechanical spiders that like kicked our ass. Yes. It was just not great. That was, I think the, that was the second time that I was like, I need to do like a complete rebuild on my character because this is just not working. (laughs) <laughs> this this sounds like a, a Chuck Tingle novel is like trapped six in the months. butthole ship for six months. <laughs> Stuck in alien buttholes. Uh, I, I believe that was also the book where Jode actually got disintegrated. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. yeah. You were our only death. Oh and, man. But but we had from the very first adventure, we the had very our... first book, mm-hmm. we had been given a scroll of resurrection. To bring back Jode's dad, uh, Connor Bain, and when we got down there, it turned out he wasn't dead yet. We managed to finish that little session with him still alive, so we didn't need to use the Scroll of Resurrection. So it had been sitting on a Google spreadsheet of our loot for months, and we had forgotten about Ah. it. Absolutely forgotten that it even existed and then Joe dies. And not, we're like, shit. Not just dead, disintegrated. Yeah. We were fighting that eldritch abomination from beyond space yeah. and time. And dead, he dead. was an asshole. Just like his entire <laughs> shit. So, it's okay, he got better. <laughs> uh, so Billy like was, of course, upset. Uh, and like we were all like really, really bummed. And I can't remember if it was me or if it was Penny, but I was like, I have an idea. Hang on. I think we have something for this. And Billy's already talking about like, how he's going to like have to like take uh, go and like figure out a way to reintroduce the knock to the game or build a new character. And like, wait, we have a scroll of resurrection. Oh, my God. We have one left. And then we never died again. <laughs> No, nobody else died. Came close a couple times, but nobody else yeah. died. Uh, also, Jode, uh, then the, at our it's next true. level up, took the ability to disintegrate things with telekinesis. Um, he got disintegrated and then needed to disintegrate. It didn't it, work very it, often, it, but when it did, it it's was the, useful. it's the vicious cycle of disintegrations. I don't, I don't know. Oh yeah, no. It's you. You get hit by the attack once, and you're like, "I know how to do that now." Bam! So this one time, all my molecules decided not to talk to each other. Uh, let me let me show you how that feels. It really has an effect so, on you. <laughs> Ryan, what was your Perfect. favorite and least favorite thing about the game? I think you're the only one who hasn't shared yet. Uh, yeah, like I said, I think uh, by and large, my favorite part is just like vibing with a group and then blowing stuff up um but story-wise um yeah, i don't know uh the stuff with scandalee was always great 
Um, I I really am into like alien abominations from Beyond Stars, so those plot lines are always uh, a lot of fun for me. I think my least favorite is kind of least is the thing that I would I would say for almost every um, Paizo Adventure Path that I've played, which is that they're so committed to their very specific format that it often feels like certain sections of the game are, are just like tacked on to fill out an adventure. And I'm, there, I'm more there for like, just to see what this like narrative is. And so I'm just like, mm, I, I, I wish that this stuff was like a little more tightly scoped sometimes, but overall it was fun anyway. Yeah, I can see what you mean, though. Like, the Dominion of the Black thing just never comes up again. It really we, doesn't. We we fight them for a little while, and we're like, oh, are they, like, involved? Are they, like, helping the Technic League? No. No, I think there was... There's just, just another completely different alien race also crashes in Numeria, also, like, just setting up shop. I, I... Numeria has no luck. That's just the it's the hot place to yeah, be, you like, know. There was a couple of tie-ins. Like you found some members of the Technic League there who had been tortured by the Chitons or Cenobites as we've been calling them and like stuff like that. Um that is how they met. Yeah. Mhm. Uh additionally, hmm. we haven't talked about it at all, but do you guys remember going through uh, Fergus's tower. So that was book three. Jo- Jode had an entire uh, uh, religious awakening. Correct. Uh, yeah. So that was uh, book three, the the choking tower, and that's really where you guys were like, "Come to Torch. We'll be your friend." You guys found a bunch of robots there that you made friends. You found some uh, gazers. It was we Azers, yeah. We employed yep. some Azers to work the forge and torch. Like, and hey, we've been... we've got a forge that can work star metals. You guys interested? Oh yeah. Turns out <laughs> they were. And then we convinced the construct Incredible. that had been working for Fergus Zoud. It's like, you know what? Your your boss is dead, and he was an asshole. Uh but you can come research with this other wizard and he's real cool and pursue your own stuff and they're like yeah i'm down for that and that's how anak got assistance yeah and just this is great yeah i like i completely forgot that we hadn't even talked about book three we barely talked about book five elk wall was fun or six and that little mini dungeon under elk wall was actually pretty fun so Elkwall was a town that uh, didn't like androids, didn't like technology in this con- this uh, country Boo. of technology. They were very skeptical. Boo. Uh, they ended up allying with them, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That's good. All right. Well, Beth, since uh, you want to talk about book six, we've got another like two-part question. One is... How did you like the ending? And then the second question is, how did it feel actually finishing an AP? Because I've heard that's a thing that people <laughs> do, you. but I've never experienced it myself. Uh, so the actual conclusion, 
you the the players all go into this digital space. Now it's very much the Matrix. You die in the Matrix. You die in real life. Uh, but you go to this digital space and you fight some monsters. Uh, depending on how well you've disrupted uh the essentially you're fighting a god, right? Uh, Unity. And this digital god is an AI, a crazy AI that has reached some level of demi uh, godhood. And, mm-hmm. um... Sorry, and they named it after Unity, like a real program that exists in well, real life. So it was called the Divinity Drive, and Unity is kind okay. of the name that it gave itself. Yeah, it's a little pretentious. I'm not gonna say okay. here and tell you it's not... <laughs> Like, it's, yes. Yeah. But anyway, so... Sorry, go on. go to their, like, fake realm that they've created in this hyper-technologically advanced drive, and you defeat them. Awesome, cool, great, love that for you. Uh, But you still have the power and the capability of creating a deity. And so the ending of the campaign, we created two gods. Now, in the base uh, game, you create one, Cassandra Lee. Uh, she becomes a deity. And actually, in books that we've talked about on this podcast, uh, her deity profile, we've talked about it before. So that's Cassandra Lee in uh, Gods and Magic. For us and for our campaign, we created two, the twin androids, uh, one being Cassandra Lee and one being our friend uh, Katie, who passed away. And so that was like our way of honoring her and the everything she put into this campaign and the story that she created with us. That's now, you know, forever with us. And... Uh, we, mm-hmm. we put, like, stats to it and everything. So you can actually pick her as a deity uh, with a custom page that I created for, well, I'm working on it, uh, for Gods and Magic that had her profile picture uh, for her character on it. Yeah. So. That's absolutely beautiful. Like, I love that. Uh, That's the whole awesome. making allies was... out of literally everybody was, like, 90% Katie. Yeah. Her, her... Yeah. Her base character thing was Penny wants to be friends with literally everything and know literally everything. Yeah, it's true. I love so that. like that kind of ending, it was it was obviously bittersweet, uh, but it was perfect for us. And I did tone back some of the combat aspects of it. Uh, I could have we could have gone harder. But even then, it wasn't an easy fight. And that was yeah. after I blew up most of her computer core with a sparkler bomb made of EMP grenades. Correct. Yeah. Right. yeah, that's that's correct. <laughs> so, like, it really fit for our group. But I also kind of understand if people say, like, it's a little anticlimactic, right? Book five was better than book six. Like, book six was a dungeon delve. Mm-hmm. Um, fun. But it was a very traditional dungeon delve. And, um, like, 
we kind of created a home base right outside of the mountain uh, that we went into, and that was kind of fun, so that they could still, like, craft items and stuff. Because I knew there wasn't going to be, you know, anything after this, so. Mm -hmm. But, like, it's only the second AP that I've ever finished. And... Really? And... The first one as a GM. I've gotten close, but this was technically the very first one that I've done as a GM. And honestly, it was really rewarding. Like, it was so fun to see a player go from level one all the way up to level, I think we ended at 18, 17, 18. And it was really cool to see that. And then, like... Be able to share that story moment with your friends. Mm -hmm. Like, we created a a living world to us. To the point where our Galarian is just a little bit different than everybody else's now. Every game that we play together from now on is going to have Penny, the... uh, android deity and i don't know that's something really special that we were able to take away from it that i'm just never like i'm never gonna be able to emotionally get over the yeah yeah. and it it was a lot of fun it was just a lot of fun and was it the best adventure path ever? No. But also that's subjective and maybe it is. Uh, either way, we had an absolute Beth, Beth will check back in with us when she finishes another that's AP true. as a DM and let I'm us know when, when if we it was finish our special ACAB ver- run of uh, Agents of Edgewatch. <laughs> we'll let you know. Yeah. I love that you said ACAB. That's very I mean, good. Yeah, but that's kind of what it is. Like I had to rewrite it. No, I no. I've only I've only ever heard people pronounce it as ACAB. That makes oh, me think yeah. of Moby Dick. So okay, Ahab. Yeah, that's uh, that's um, But no, Beth literally. White yeah, people. Beth insisted on rewriting Agents of Edgewatch to uh, make us not cops. Well, we're. Sort of cops, they just tone back some of the detectives. Yeah, we're we're civilian officers. They are civilian officers, citizens arrest. Kind of, we're a community. It's more of like, what if your community ran your watch? Uh, you know, like your actual, yeah, the community actually involved. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We are on to our next campaign, which is Agents of Edge Watch. I honestly thought Beth was going to need to take, like, at least a couple-month break after dealing with our shenanigans before she was willing to dive in again. And it literally was, like, two weeks later. So, how do you guys feel? Like, didn't you just say you needed a vacation? (laughs) Uh, But I was already all planned, and, like, I wanted to do it. I was so excited. I can't take a break, you guys. Okay, okay. So everybody else who's not the GM, uh, Ryan, let's start with you. Uh, how did ending and then how did it feel to end? It was cool. Um, you, you, especially in Pathfinder one, uh, I, 
you don't get to high levels very often. Um, and I always find those who are the most engaging. Uh, and so having the opportunity to like play around with some of those high level abilities that you just don't get to um, experience that often was a ton of fun. Um, and so I think it was really positive in that regard. What about like the story ending? How do you feel about that? Oh, I love like weird sci-fi God stuff. Uh, it's, it's entirely in my wheelhouse. It was, uh, it was, so you're like, all right, we've heard of Kingmaker. Now get ready for Godmaker. Uh, I mean, it'd be a lie to say that I, I haven't been playing just a ton of the Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous like CRPG. Uh, so uh, yeah, we've heard. I, I bet you have. I bet <laughs> you have. Why did that sound threatening? Because it was. I don't know. Okay. I don't only know. played like six hours, and he's probably played like five hundred something. That's, Am I close, Beth? Am I close to the right number? That's that's JV shit. <laughs> <laughs> those are rookie numbers. You better pump those numbers up. He's not I, kidding. Uh, like I think it's up yeah, to a thousand I'm hours now. Yeah, I'm currently at thousand twenty-seven hours. <laughs> Dang. Of a video game. Do you multitask and play no. that and make Dedication. characters at the same time? I have before. I so- oh. I sometimes play Pathfinder while I play Pathfinder. He does. I I have a. <laughs> I mean, I I usually don't build characters, but I frequently have Hero Forge open while we're playing. Oh my god! And like literally build characters. So. I wish I could have two separate brains and use them at the same time as you do, but that's not how I work. So. Oh no no no! no. I, I there's only one brain. <laughs> oh, you give me too much credit. You think there's a whole brain? Yeah, it's it's just uh, it's just the one brain just like split in six different directions. You know, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Well, well, Bill, Bill, feelings uh, about the end, and then I think feelings I, about ending. As we've said multiple times, I think book five uh, narratively had a better ending but it also hadn't actually ended the story, so we still had to go redo the end of book five. Um, so, like, narratively, or, like, from a a storyline critique, this was a TV show that went one season too long. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, as, as far as a critique of a critique of the product. That is not a critique of the playing experience because we did a lot of fucking around and making jokes and laughing during book six. So it's not like it wasn't enjoyable. And we also did a lot of random shit, like make sparkler bombs out of stacks of grenades. So, and Beth just let us get away with that shit. So it was definitely fun. Um, the, like, ending ending. Um, we got... So um, Katie was um, my wife, as well as, you know, a a member of the party. Um, And we were very near the end um, when she passed away. And we we broke briefly and made those decisions about, like, having her uh, enter the Divinity Drive and and all of that um, in that time. And so I, I almost can't think of the mm-hmm. very end as like a gaming experience. It was like a tribute to her, to as I experienced it anyway. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's really hard yeah. to critique that. Mm-hmm. From from like you know what I, I mean like from I a had... role play experience it's really hard to do because we have like this huge emotional attachment to it but like actually it should have ended in book five yeah <laughs> like so I totally get where you're coming actually I really love the analogy of it's uh yeah it, it's a, a TV show that went one season too long but also like something happens in the season that just like makes up for it right at the end and you're like okay it was worth it but like also maybe you didn't need all that money (laughs) so yeah it's exciting this is uh, the first adventure path that um, I've completed myself like I've completed a couple like shorter adventures most of them like home run stuff things like that, but nothing like a written campaign. Uh, and so this was this was really exciting. I don't get to see characters that are this high level and kind of really get to play around with the absolute ridiculousness that they get by that point. Um, and so it was fun. Uh, I also agree that we had to do book six because technically the overarching story wasn't done in book five, even though like that was such a strong narrative to end on. Right. If they had somehow, we literally ended, we ended book five with like them standing on the decayed or, or the blasted ruins of the Technic League compound and giving an entire speech that we magically projected over this the city, the capital city of Numeria. And then they got to set up a whole new government structure for Numeria. It was great. It, it like it really narratively would have been a great place to end except for the overarching story from day one has been we gotta go we gotta go kill this AI that thinks she's a god and has somehow managed to get crazy enough that she might actually break that crazy magic barrier and become a god. So I don't know how they could have structured the the game to to change that and make it different. Uh, you know, I think there are ways that they could have had us go through that part first and then, you know, dealing with the fallout of that. And like, you could have had cults in the city and like add that as like an extra thing. Um, You know, there are things that we could have done to kind of change things up, but you know, that's not, Beth didn't feel like rewriting the entire campaign. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And again, not this one, you know, so for the first half, of the uh, book six and the first half of that dungeon delve as we're working our way through the spaceship, you know, Katie was still there and, you know, we were kind of just cruising along. Like we were, everybody was talking like, you know, I think we have six sessions left until we're done. I think we have five or four sessions left until we're done. And then we get to about three sessions and Katie passed away and we had to put a break on it. And, we all kind of thought and debated and talked about like, what could we do? We we can't just end it. Ending it would be 
would almost be a disservice because we were so close. She, we just had to get over that that she hurdle, and she really, had been so invested. She was really excited to uh, to like finish an adventure path. I mean, like like all of us, but mm-hmm. um, she's a rel- was a relatively recent role player, so mm-hmm. like it it would have it was a big deal. She was really excited for it. So I, I yeah. you know, I yeah. I mean, I literally sent a message saying we can't not finish it. Yeah. Um, I absolutely so, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was really glad that we yep. we did defi- we did decide to to go ahead and finish it up, even if we did kind of like sand the edges down, cut a few corners to to kind of wrap it up in about two sessions, uh, which is I think what we ended up doing. But uh, for those of you guys who know yeah. the module, I cut most of the gargoyles. So, but honestly, the gargoyles yeah, so, were one of the weakest parts of it. So I was like, no. I'm not upset uh, by this. Beth has one regret, and this isn't it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it was. I, I think it was really good that we came back. We finished it. Um, we had a narrative reason, you know, for why, for what we were doing, and it would have fit Katie's character. Because she had kind of been really interested in this whole process and pushing for it. And, uh, you know, we kind of got to sit down when we talked about uh, one of the things that you do is when you are installing in in the main module, if you're installing Cassandra Lee as as the deity, you can kind of pick what her 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 fat uh these different facets of her personality based off these computer chips that we found throughout the game and you get to have a little bit of an influence at least in theory on Correct. what type of god she turns into and you could if you're a giant jerk leave all the evil chips still in there that would you know make Cassandra an evil god but of course you know, the idea <laughs> is that you're not going to do that but there are several things, like there were different yep. ones that maybe this fit a little bit better, maybe this fit a little bit better. And so we actually got to have a discussion about which combination we thought fit both Penny and her kind of a little chaotic, but very like open and cheerful character. And then you have Cassandra Lee over here, who is uh, much more like... Uh, reserved and uh, has a little bit of kind of like a cool, mysterious aura about her, and try and find the right combination for it. I think we did. I think we did a good job. And so it, you know, I could see somebody going through the campaign who didn't have that emotional attachment. Like if Katie had not passed away, we would have finished the campaign. And it would have been fine, and we would have been happy, you know, hey, we beat the bad guy, the world is saved, hail the conquering heroes, and it would have been fine. Um, But I think it just had a much bigger emotional impact because we had that personal interaction, and that got wrapped up into the end of the campaign. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm always going to think of it that way. And, you know, my experience is going to be different than somebody else's experience. And it's so great that Beth was there to let us do stuff like that, to let us decide, you know, that we're going to install one of our characters as uh, as a co-god with Cassandra Lee instead of 
you know, someone who might say, well, that's not what the story says. Or, you know, you can't do that because that's not a deity that actually exists in the rest of Galarian or any of the other books or anything like that. Um, because you do, you have those folks who that's the way the story is. And so that's the story you're going to tell. And uh, I liked the fact that even at the very end, it felt like Beth was allowing us to put our mark on the world and to tell our story. Um, not just the story from the book, but our actual story on the world. And mm-hmm. I'm going to remember that for a long time. And I'm really excited for the new one. I wish I had something like more profound to say than like that's just super powerful and like so meaningful. And like, I just want to hug. Yeah. Hug for everyone. That was. <laughs> virtual, like virtual hugs. Like <laughs> the ability to process <laughs> virtual hugs, uh, the ability to process the emotions that you're going through at a point in your life through gaming is something that I've been passionate about from day one. It's part of the reason why I married who I married. Do you know what I mean? Like those things are really important to me. So being able to process that grief and that yeah. just horribleness, uh, really, I think, I mean, it helped me. So, and I think it's important that you um, were able to do it like as a group. It, it was beautiful too through this. So you know, you guys yeah. aren't alone, and you have sort of that built-in yeah, community. It, was, it helped already, um, and hopefully, it helped you know Bill and everything because he felt it worse than all of us. Uh, but it was rough, and I, I'm glad that we already had this group together that she was a part of. So we have those memories, and that you know, she's now woven into the story of this game forever. And that's, nothing can change that. (laughs) This is just an absolute delight. Hey, Beth, will you allow us to option Penny as a god in our Pathfinder universe? Of course. I will, when I get the, we're, we're essentially doing an insert page into the uh, book, like the Gods of Magic book. So I ha- I'm working on the formatting right now, okay. and I'll post an image of it awesome. up on Twitter once I'm done. Yeah, but that is, yeah. I think that's it. Oh my gosh. Well, that was an absolute delight, but unfortunately we have reached the time where we must say, Thank Chad, you, yes. take us out. Uh, guys, that was an absolute blast. Thank you all so much for coming tonight. Um, um, and to our dear listeners, uh, if you if what you heard tonight sounded interesting at all, uh, please go check out Iron Gods. It sounds both intense and a little crazy, and sounds like there's a chance to use cats for explanations, and I love that. Please have cats with someone in your group. Make things much easier. We made it, so you can make it too. Thanks for listening to Dice Don't Die. Hey, if you like what we do, please visit us on Facebook, Twitter, 
and Instagram at Dice Don't Die. Or email us at DiceDon'tDiePod at gmail.com. The intro and outro song, Crunk Night, were created by Kevin McLeod. More of his work and the work of many others can be found royalty-free at filmmusic.io. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next adventure.